Hello everyone, I'm Aji, and I'm so glad to have you here. This is a podcast focused on all things Nigeria, business, politics, history. I hope to be able to tell personal stories of influential Nigerians and discuss problems and solutions for the country. I got the chance to sit down with Inolua Samuel Abueji on the 2nd of May. Ian is the founder of Flutterwave. He founded it in 2017. With $15.7 million in funding, Flutterwave, the payment company, is empowering Pan-African merchants to execute business on a global scale. Flutterwave processes $1.2 billion worth of transactions. Samuel has a previous startup called Andala which gained the attention of venture capitalists and raised $24 million in funding, including from a very special Mark Zuckerberg. Ian and I had a lot to talk about. We first spoke about his personal business stories, and he gave us some exclusive content about the early days of Andela. We then spoke about the economic efforts of the Nigerian diaspora. We spoke about the Nigerian tech sector, and we also spoke about plans for the future. Let's take a listen to what he has to say. I have, you know, a loosely prepared set of questions, you know, nice, flow nice. with it. No, and if anybody has any questions, uh, please put it in the question box. Now, I just want to give a disclaimer now. I know I work for Microsoft, but none of my statements in this interview a reflection <laughs> of the company these are my own personal opinions that i'm going to voice here today so nobody's allowed to hold me accountable for anything so nobody's allowed to hold microsoft accountable for anything right so you know i've known you for a very very long time yes we've known each other for a very long time <laughs> 11 yeah. or 12 years old whatever it may be yeah so yeah you know the gap of the story for me is you know you graduated secondary school high school yes in Abuja, Leila J's recorded shout out to anyone here from Leila. And then you went to school <laughs> in Canada uh, at Waterloo, University of Waterloo. Yeah, right? well, I mean, I had a break. So I went to, when I went to Canada, I went to a school called Columbia International College. It was like a prep school. So I went there first. Then from there, I went to, I went to um, Waterloo. Waterloo. So then, so yeah. then you know, I'm sure you tore your books because you know, Leila, it is what it is. <laughs> and then you're, you're graduating, <laughs> you graduated Waterloo. You're in yeah, Canada. Yeah. You know, you yeah. arrived beside America. Canada is a great yeah. country. America is the land of opportunity. But you said, oh no, let me go back. <laughs> let me go. Yeah, to I mean, and set up my base. So look, what was what was your Andala? Tell, just walk us through that process of when you first got the idea of yeah. Andala. You know when you decided to yeah. actually go for it. Okay, let me let me let me let me fill out the gap. So, 2008, I leave um, LJC, right? Then I go to um, I went to actually I actually spent some time in Ibadan. Funnily enough, I spent like three months at UI and sometime at a school called Leeds City because I thought I was going to write A-levels. I never really took it seriously. So let's just say I, I did nothing happened. Then my brother was going to Colombia and my dad was like, look, um, Colombia gives a 25% discount if you have two kids at the same time. 
So my pops were just being the typical Niger guy, and it's like, come, let me bond you and add you to this team because by the time I look at the money I'm going to spend, you <laughs> still would have equated. So look, just join your brother. Anytime that his time has finished, your time has finished too, you come back to Nigeria. So, so you know, what I did when I got to Canada was like, I went ballistic. I took 10 courses in my first semester. Wow. Uh, I didn't play nothing. I took all my courses because I was afraid that my dad was just going to change his mind one day and send me. Because don't forget, like, me and my dad, just from context, me and my dad had a big fight already about me being a, an art student. Because I was in science before, then I went to art. And you know, your typical Niger parents now, Niger they're like, parents. you're not useful. <laughs> oh, Ulo, you understand what I'm saying? So, uh, my, my, my parents are just like, look, man, like, we are sending the person that is going to bring money that is valuable to this family to school. You are just there to follow him so that you don't be as if, you know, since we have this discount, let's use it. So, I, I just read, I read all the time. Um, but what was helpful about me doing 10 courses in my first term was that my second term, I started doing co-op co-op so I, I, did, I started my co-op in second in secondary school then just by some random chance i got into um waterloo because honestly actually they rejected me at first mm. that's the other story um, yeah. i got rejected and then my counselor went and called them i was like dude this is my best student because i obviously now i can't i can't shame the family so <laughs> so it was like this is my best student um dude you have to like accept him so I got accepted into Waterloo. Now, how did I get back to Nigeria? So, Waterloo did something very, very, very important for me. Two, two actually, two very important things for me. First of all, I got introduced to cooperative education, right? Which was amazing because the idea that you learn whatever you can learn in three months and then you go straight into the workplace was like strange for me, right? Mm. But it made, it made a really big impact in terms of how I thought about what you could do at my age right so i also went out to co-op but i went to co-op at the united nations i didn't go to that was what i wanted to do um can you see him can you hear me yep all good okay so my my path was i was going to be a corporate lawyer um so i i um basically what what ended up happening was you know i um I got introduced to tech by a very, very close friend of mine. His name is Pierre. Um, I met him on the first day of school. He literally just walked up to me and was like, E, um, I want you to, you know, I want to stay at your place. I mean, he didn't know my name. He just walked up to me. I was like, dude, can I stay at your place? I was like, sure, you know, who cares if you're a serial killer? Like, <laughs> come and stay, you know? So I was like, yeah, so I stayed at my place and then we lost touch. We became friends, lost touch. A year later, he had gone to co-op at... And this is the important part of our co-op. He had gone to co-op in Silicon Valley and he worked for a guy called Joe Lonsdale who was building a company then called Adapar, which was like this massive wealth management software company. Um, still around today, big company. And he was telling me all about Silicon Valley. Um, at about the same time, um, this movie, The Social Network, was released. So that even like cemented my thoughts about Silicon Valley. So I was like, man... I'm making the switch. I was in like journalism and law. I moved straight to tech, right? Um, and, and basically what, what Waterloo did that was interesting was, that was the second thing. Waterloo um, has a history of students who go into entrepreneurship. 
Um, so BlackBerry is like its most famous example, right? Um, this guy, Mike Larizirides, in his fourth year, invents this new server technology that's super secure and then goes and builds a company on the back of it, right? And that company becomes an industry and that industry is like, you know, went up and came down, right? Whatever. But um, in the process of building that, there was another entrepreneur, funny enough, who was sued by BlackBerry called Ted Livingston. He built something called Kick, which at the time was this super lightning fast messaging app that was doing like a bunch of music stuff and, st and stuff like that. And basically what ended up happening was Kick got big really fast and they and kick started to um kick basically like kicked off a new wave of entrepreneurship in, in in waterloo area right i'm getting super technical here so i'm gonna i'm gonna revert back but what ted livingston did was after his first round he donated a million dollars to set up something called velocity in the university of waterloo and velocity was basically an unheard of program at the time where for the first time in the world the schools were saying the school was saying look within our school campus instead of going to school you can start companies while being in school do you get what i'm saying so i went i took advantage of velocity and i saw all sorts of amazing things i never got lucky um in velocity but i saw people that i knew very well get into y combinator sell their companies become billionaires you know like there was a guy i remember one day i was um we used to have this funny um thing where i used to work five to nine so what that means is like <laughs> you work from 5 a.m to 9 p.m so i was coming into work at 5 a.m um so i could answer emails and get some stuff done um and the whole place was barricaded and i was like what's going on i thought maybe someone committed suicide because actually somebody had committed suicide the week before right it was kind of that's another thing that people don't talk about like there's a lot of pressure with entrepreneurship so so I come just decide or something um and so like oh man another like another one oh boy jeez man like so I was even feeling sorry I went I came back and it turns out that like somebody was now telling me oh have you read the news today and the news was basically that these guys they're called buffer box who sat right next door to me um basically um basically sold their company right for 30 million dollars to google so wow. you can just imagine my mindset at that time i was like wait did just no reach me did, like these guys <laughs> literally they like it's one thing when you hear of like oh mark zuckerberg is selling something no that one is like that's silicon valley this one is like the guy was next door to me i was talking to him every day i'm still friends with them you know what i mean and this guy literally just bought an island and i'm here sitting down <laughs> so but what i learned later was look for you to be able to strive in a in an environment there are certain things that teaches you and there are certain things that you're passionate about and for me back then and still now i'm very passionate about nigeria very passionate about africa and seeing africa leverage technology to develop itself so i knew my heart was in nigeria but all the things i learned from obodo Ibo are the things i'm still using today right like all the principles all the you know everything right that's what i'm still using today so i'll say for me that path was really necessary obviously like you know i i didn't have any say in how it happened because it was very random um we started a company called booknedo.com booknedo.com got acquired i moved back to nigeria to start fora fora what happened with fora was the government blocked it 
um, and then we pivoted. And then when we pivoted, we pivoted into basically selling um, online degrees online. Like just like if you want the University of Wolverhampton, you know, we used to sell University of Liverpool, we used to sell um, Waldorf, all sorts of courses, right? We do, we do that online. And then after that, um, I met Jeremy. Actually, I met Jeremy before I started Fora and we we're friends. But I reconnected with Jeremy after I, I kind of started. My, my business really took off in the online degree learning space. And I was trying to get him to invest. Um, funnily enough, the story of that was really that, you know, very funnily, um, what happened was, you know, that week he had just IPO'd his company and it was his birthday. So really, in reality, the chances that he would have answered me were like almost zero. And I just emailed him and I was like, let's meet up. We met up at a Fresh and Co on like 20, 23rd Street in New York. And we started talking about just experiences, what he had learned, what I had learned. And we started all this conversation about him looking for, somehow we got a conversation of him looking for $135,000 Salesforce engineer. And that was literally the conversation that started Andela. I see. If you can believe it. Wow. Basically, because it was like, wow, you know, like he had been to Kenya. Kenya was asking him to do higher education. He worried a lot that higher education wasn't the right product for Africa because people needed to make money from their education. And higher education was this status thing in the U.S. that people could afford. So he was more about like, okay, what what can you do with knowledge that helps you get paid tomorrow? tomorrow. <laughs> do you get what I'm saying? As opposed to waiting four years or eight years. So that was basically how I got here. Okay. So um, a lot of people, well, let me say a lot of African people in particular, you know, you hear the Andela story. And I feel like the first time the story jumped out was, oh, Andela raises 24 million um I, I believe the yeah. figure is 24 million and then there was a picture of you with Mark zuckerberg and i think people don't realize that every big company was once a small company and so oh, yeah. every yeah. big every big thing started small so if you just had like a couple words or a couple sentences to just describe how was andela at its very early stages you know oh. when everything <laughs> was just moving before all this um, yeah, before you got blue, famous blue, and big, blue, pretty much. How are you feeling? Yeah, well, okay. So it was a very funny story. So okay, when we made the switch to Andela, I brought my team with me and my investors, right? Because I I didn't want to leave anyone behind. So my team was in Canada. I had um and 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 I was in Nigeria. So we we needed somebody to come and train the engineers. Now, what did we do? We went and we got one of the engineers in Canada, Nadia, who's one of my co-founders, to move over to Nigeria. So there's an image in my head right now that makes me laugh every time I remember it. So when we started, right, we didn't have money. So we went, we, we used to, there's this woman, her name is Mrs. Adelie. She's now Mrs. Adelie, but back then she used to be called Mrs. Odunfa. And she was running like a wealth management company for Diamond Bank at the time. She was like one of the few people who was trying to do VC at the time. So she gave us, she was basically like, look, let me just support you. I wanted to invest in Fora, but it doesn't look like a good time. You know, use my BQ to start. So we started actually in her BQ. And her wow. BQ was in Ikoi. Yeah, this, I've, was I've never had this. Is this is an exclusive. So Andela no, super exclusive. Yeah, yeah. So 
Wow. Habiki was in Ikoyi, right? And we were coming from Bariga every day. And that, that's like an hour and a half commute, three buses and two, one keke and one okada. So <laughs> you take a bus from a public bus, Danfo from um from from Bako bus stop to um to Yaba Market. Then you take another one from Yaba Market to Obalinde. Then you take another one from Obalinde, you take a keke from Obalinde to um to to like um they used to call it Dragon's Dragon's Gate or something like that, right? Um, near Southern Sun. Then from there you take an Okada to the office. Now, the funniest thing was one day we me and Nad Nad just came back. We were staying at my house in, in Barica. One day me and Nad got on the on the, it was raining heavily, right? But we had to get to work because people were waiting for us in the office. So I, I, uh, me and him, wait, wait, wait. we got into the first bus, the second bus, we got into the keke. One random downfall driver just drove by really fast and the thing splashed straight inside the dyer's eyes and I started laughing. <laughs> <laughs> so, wow. man, like, I always remember that story and I just keep laughing because I was like, man, dude, you were heartless. I brought this guy, this guy was an engineer at Google. You know, I made him enter the brought him to Nigeria. Yeah, I brought him to Barika. From mosquitoes to be feasting on his body. And, him. <laughs> so, and then I then made them splash water in his eye. <laughs> I was like, man, I was just, I felt sorry for him. But, wow, you know, those I, I were the days, man. I hope those are the days. Uh, that's what I'm saying. People, I think, look at the success and don't really see the hustle behind the success sometimes. Oh, bro, that was hustle. Awesome. You know, awesome. they think everything happens overnight in some sense. Now, I have. No, it was. Yeah, dude, of... man, the one thing I would say is that, you know, when I first came back, I was very much about keeping up this image of your typical IJGB, right? Like, ah, I just got back. I have a certain standard, blah, blah, blah. Oh, boy. <laughs> Niger humbled me. Like <laughs> the humbling was humble. So you can imagine me, I was living in Maintama, spending my money, going out every night, from there to Barika, <laughs> entering Dampo to get to work. So it was real. But you know, we started out, um, the first tweet we put out, we had a lot of uh, applicants. You know, we put out a tweet saying, no experience required. Let's pay you to learn how to be a software developer. Um, we had like the first one we had about 400 responses we selected four people to put into the program for that then the second one we did 700 people then the third one it blew up we did like 4,000 people so i mean lagos lagos like lagos humbled me but lagos also taught me that look man no matter how rich you are there's hustle involved in creating anything of value here so there's no I mean, some people will come to Lagos and they're still trying to keep up appearances. Bro, I didn't go out or see my friends for the first two or three, which is why there's probably a gap. For the first two or three years of Mandela, well, maybe two years, I didn't see anybody. The first party I went to after I set up Mandela was like right about when we signed the deal for that. I think we signed Spark, right? And um, I remember, ah, no, that December, I bought well. That 2015 December. Because I was ready to stunt on everybody. <laughs> so, so that one, I bought well. But like, 
before that i was just invisible i didn't even reach out to anybody i knew i didn't pretend like i knew anybody and like if you're coming back to niger which you have to be a very strong person to be doing right now that's always my advice for that for people it's like look man don't never allow the image making to get ahead of like creating value don't do it just grind and bro man the story doesn't even end there so <laughs> After that first four, right? Ikoyi, obviously, at some point, we were out our welcome with Mrs. Odunfa. You know, naturally, she was like, look, I want to rent out this place. You guys need to find another place. We tried to move to an office in Yaba. Okay, you not believe it, but this office was not ready. And the, the estate manager actually scammed us first. The guy used that money to go and build his wedding, to do his wedding. Oh my god. Meanwhile, he was not even the landlord. It turns out, man, I learned a lot. Lagos scammed me. So I had to find an office because we were starting another class in like no time. So I had to find a place. I ended up finding an old friend's office in Fadei. So there was Andela's office was in Fadei at one time. If people know where Fadei is in Lagos. <laughs> like, so like i was barefoot some people that were in our second class probably remember me i was barefoot i was walking around badly looking for somebody to fix our generator man dude bro bro suffered like (laughs) even i've never heard this part of the story yeah people people that have been there from the earliest days can probably remember this man cc hub was very helpful so we we spent some time at cc hub too in between cohorts when we didn't have any classes, um, they helped us with their rooftop. But we were world and welcome there. I think in the first year of Andela, we moved like six times. Oh. Like offices, we moved offices six times. Either because we couldn't actually afford the office or because like something happened and somebody that was supposed to give us office space didn't give us or something. So, yeah, dude, it was it was a time. It was a time. <laughs> so people see that so, i mean people look at angela now it's all there and all that but bro man like people really <laughs> put blood and sweat and i really give like the first class a lot of credits the first five guys who went through the program because they built up like they had a lot of spirits man like those guys i remember a guy he's now in germany most of them are now in germany they've all they've all left us um <laughs> they, they solo we used to call him solo ayola solomon this guy used to wake up every morning coming from Ijibo. And the guy would get to Ikoi before us. Wow. So I didn't even have an excuse. So me, I was even for me like, ah, look at my life. Look at my... But somebody was waking up, coming from Ijibo. Sometimes, mans would like come to my house to code because there was nowhere to code, nowhere else. So they will come and meet us in, 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 in um, Pariga. We will stay there all night. We will cook Indomie and eat it with suya die <laughs> i have one picture on my instagram of me sleeping on the floor that was like where we started andela then we used to have this thing called breakfast of champions these are the fun times though like um <laughs> please please never try this at home but there was a time that in the morning because of how early we had to wake up to get to work right we would literally have people like take like we we, we bought like a bottle of vodka then i used to drink i don't drink anymore and um red bull and people will take shots like just to kick up the day <laughs> but those are the fun times that reminds me of when time. i walked in lagos there was this what was his name again mr, <laughs> mr. osage every morning at 9 a.m my guy would yeah. have 
starch. You know starch now. The starch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Starch. Like, yeah. At night. Yeah, in the morning. And I'm like, you need it. You need. <laughs> like, I have so much compassion. See, I have so much compassion for people that com- commute to work because of that. Because I literally experienced it, man. Like, and I wasn't even that far. Like, I was like, I mean, Barry guys, far but not that far. I mean, people are coming from like Okoko Michael. There was another guy, GMT. The guy is a big, big boy in tech now. But like, you know, then you will be coming from like Oshodi, you know. So like, people came from far just to make sure they hit their dreams. Like, so early days of Andela, man, dude, it was all hard. Like, I don't even think it's replicable <laughs> from that perspective because I don't think anybody's going to sacrifice like that anymore. But that's just how it is. That's usually how it is. Start small. Everybody's grinding, and then before you know it, you're big, and people think you are you are lucky, which is which is okay. So now I want to read out some figures to you. Yeah, because uh, you mentioned African diaspora, uh, what advice you have for the African diaspora? And I put up some statistics um, from Nigerians living in the U.S. Six point one billion dollars is sent back to Nigeria just from the mm, U.S. Mm. every year. Mm-hmm. About that, uh, from the United Kingdom. 3.8 billion sent back to Nigeria every year. Right? Wow. Wow. Now, that's not about, just from the US and UK, that's about 2% of Nigeria's GDP. Yeah. Yeah. My housemate and I were talking, like, I sent back about, you know, 300 to my friends just just because, you know, and he does the same thing too, just because. So in this household, it's like $700. I'm yeah. sure people on this call can relate to that. Just said, no, maybe yeah. you go back home for Christmas. But then this research also showed that about 75% of that money was sent to things like that. Your family back home, you just want to buy something yeah. back home, things like that. And only about, uh, I guess, what, 25% of it was used for actual investments. People investing in, I guess, buying, mm. buying investing mm. in businesses and things. Yeah. Sort. yeah. So, um, you know, in your case, you're, you know, kind of the entrepreneur that actually went yeah. back and um, things like that and, you know, got on the grounds, did things heavy. Uh, even for me, for example, I bought some land in Lagos and I remember that process was just, it was like, man, is this safe? Oh, bro. Got me. Is this, it's crazy, got my man. I think it's come and build up my land and everything like that. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to know what are your perspectives on, on you know, the diaspora investing? You know, part of it is going back, being an entrepreneur. Part of it is also being able to invest in. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And yeah. Uh, just wanted to know your your take on that issue. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm I, I'm one of those people. If you look at the last fifty years of our de- development statistics, right? Nigeria has been up and down, up and down, oil inflow, oil outflow, all that. But the one thing that has been consistent is diaspora remittances through thick and thin. So, like, that's why I was joking with you earlier. I was like, better stay where you are and send dollars because nobody wants you here. <laughs> you know, I'm just kidding, obviously. But a big part of, especially given where the world is going, we're going to be more nationalistic. Um, and so it doesn't portend well for a lot of transactions where you don't. Why do you say that the world is going to be more nationalistic, by the way? Yeah, because I think that everybody now realizes the risks of globalization. So you're going to have like an anti-globalization wave, right? Like before, everybody was comfortable putting manufacturing in China and all that but like no one's gonna agree to that anymore people are gonna be like look man like i like i like china as much as you do but what if something like covid happens again i can't afford it so you're going to see a massive shift right and 
I think that's a good thing. I'm actually betting on it, but that's partly why I'm here. Um, and I think that the, the major challenge is what whose capital is going to fuel that growth. And I think the answer will be diaspora. Diaspora capital will fuel that growth. It's just that the capital has to get better organized. Do you get what I'm trying to say? Um, better organized, better like instead of thinking about subsistence for their family, they're thinking in terms of systems and infrastructure that they can co-build. Like for example, like me, I want to make sure there's internet in my village. And I can train some young people to just go there and sit down on my farm and coach. Do you get what I'm saying? Like that kind of stuff is what you're going to be seeing um, going forward. And I think I'm, I'm all here for it. Like we even launched, we launched something called um, the Future Collective. That's our firm. And basically, 30% of our investors are diaspora who work for Microsoft and Google and understand mm-hmm. tech and want to invest in tech back home. It's not even like some, like, you know. The way um, you're saying and, that there and, are already, there are already some, I guess, collective places out there like yours, for example, because this yes. is like the first I'm hearing of, of that, for example. But um, it, people are seeing that market and actually pushing yeah. ahead, trying to... Yeah, trying to get in early. Because the numbers you know, are so big, you know, like you said. They are, not, they are not investing when Jumia is on the public market and losing their money. They're investing like super, super early, early. in Nigerian innovators and Nigerian entrepreneurs. So I, I, I'm, I'm a very, very big fan of diaspora. I think there needs to be better organization, obviously. And folks like you are doing a great job. Folks like Afropolitan, organizations like that are doing a great job of organizing our diaspora. Also, organizing each other to support each other. Because, like I'm saying, the world is going to get more nationalistic. We need to push each other forward and give each other influence in the organizations where we are, right? So that things start to flow down this way. I don't think that, if you look at what India is enjoying or what China is enjoying in terms of investment from tech majors, I don't think that um, that's happening by mistake. Do you get what I'm saying? I think people inside are pushing, pushing buttons, pushing teams, you know, I can even speak to, at least in Microsoft's case, I know you can't speak for Microsoft, but ADC, like I was part of that whole, you know, some parts of that journey. And I remember talking to people from Microsoft, people like um, Duni, that really pushed the case, right? And that's how things happen for countries. Now, obviously, our government is very proud, sometimes very foolish, but <laughs> but they're going to need to stoop to conquer you know, we are all going to have to need to engage diaspora productively so that we can get where we need to go. So, following up on that, because then you brought up the government, and that was going to be a segue to my next question. But I, before before I start getting deep inside God, Nigerian government and politics, um, I was reading this book and talking, and the book was talking about the two major barriers to any innovative um, activity, and it was funding mm-hmm. and politics. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Those two seem to be number one and two, funding and policy. Yeah. Um, now, you know, in the US, for example, I think that is what makes this, I guess, the land of opportunity because for the most yeah. part, funds are always there. And the politics... Yeah, it's the deepest capital pool in the world. It is, yeah. you know, kind of one that allows... Although your, your politics is holding you back a little but, bit, but, you know, you know, it's better than most. Better than it's most better than, than most. Thing. So now in, in Nigeria, uh, you seem to have cracks the funding code by i guess being able to uh, get funding from u.s uh, venture capital well we i'll be careful about saying we've cracked the funding code so you see that money is very seasonal and we're just about to start really cracking the funding code right by leveraging collective um, um things like collective 
things like co-investment models, um, debt, you know, I think we're going to get there, but it's, we're still on that journey. I'm just very careful about saying the dependence on Y Combinator and the, the group of, of investors they bring, they're fair weather investors. They're not, they're like FBI. It's good, but it, it does not permanent. You get what I'm saying? I see. So, um, so I guess, so before we get into politics, because I feel I want to yeah. You know, just uh, you know, talk to us a little, little bit about funding because I I heard you say this uh, this statement. I don't remember where, but you said nobody's going to fund your idea. People are only going to fund your business, and I yeah. think that was yeah. a very you know very good statement, a very true statement that you made. So, yeah. I t- just take us through you know the funding journey. And like I know, like I said, I started my Andela questions without all that because I know people focus. Oh, you've raised this money, you've raised that money. But I feel yeah. like that does not tell the, the whole story of the company. But no, let's, no, let's talk about the money because at the end of the day, you're a big boy. So Am I? Amen. <laughs> Sorry, you're a big man. <laughs> Chief <laughs> Daddy. <laughs> so, you know, just no, no, so, tell us tell so me tell how you about you feel one day when you see an article saying your company raised 24 million. You know, I, oh, honestly, I, I mean, I'll be honest there. That thing is just pressure, bro. Because, like, me, I'm just thinking about how I'm going to pay that guy back. It's not like <laughs> um, but 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 no no. So, so I mean, there are two reasons why we always announce. I mean, for me, first of all, the transparency of data in the in the um, in the ecosystem, and then two, inspiring others, right? Which is very important. Now, in terms of funding, you see, the way it works is really that ultimately, right? You 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 never, as an innovator, you can't have all the factors of, of production in your hand labor capital you know it's not possible you know so you probably have a good idea and you have you're looking for capital to scale that idea which is fine you know now i i would say you know the, the real thing that we all need to focus on as a community as a collective is that you know how do we ensure that the right innovations get the capital and there's a bunch of, of things that we need to think about when we are answering the question that way. The first thing that we need to think about is, quite honestly, just to be point blank, right? Is it viable? Is there a market for the idea, right? Second of all is, how has the talent proven itself to be competent within the context? Because there are some people that are competent in the US, but they are not competent in Nigeria. You know, um, and I find people make that mistake a lot. Like assuming that somebody is competent in the US means that they can be competent in Nigeria. Nigeria requires a different set of soft and hard skills. Is that a message? For somebody to think? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. You know what I mean. So, the reason why people like to fund businesses and not ideas is that, at least to some certain extent, you have proven some of those intangible elements of building a business. And then they can now fund from there. When we were raising for Andela, we didn't get a lot of funding early. So we used our own money at first. Then Jeremy brought in some money. Then ultimately, after we had proven the first class, he now came in really big with his own resources before we now went with him to raise money. Um, And that was how we got funded properly, right? Before then, we had some cash, but it was just raising small, small, small. And I think the other thing is also the importance of networks. You know, one of the things that hampers us, honestly speaking, that's Nigerian um, professionals in tech, is that a lot of us don't have startup networks because of the paths that we took, which is not a bad thing, but it, which means that typically funding, like you don't know any VCs one-on-one. 
you don't know any investors one-on-one you don't know any you know what i mean so i've, I've always emphasized to young people that look while you can afford to even if it's just two or three years it can never be bad for you if you know what you're doing spend it at the startup get some networks um many of the networks i still rely on today are the networks from waterloo from raising money waterloo days and they're not even the strongest you know i'm rolling with jeremy opened me up to another set of network you get what i'm saying and those are the networks that i still rely on for capital um till today so i think there's a there's a whole game that has to be played there where some of us have to go into like I, like demi Lade, for example is one of my very good friends he's a vc i think we need more people that do that kind of stuff so that because look man i hate to say it but the unspoken truth about funding is that it's about whether they like your face or and not in a i mean i mean that in a figurative way i.e like do they trust you enough with their capital you get what i'm trying yeah, to say I, so, I, I, just, I, I think you're right to say that because i think a, a lot of things in i would should i say life i feel like even in, in the corporate workplace as we say even promotions in some sense is oh do they like <laughs> do they like your face for the most part yeah um, so so now you know the big elephants in the room, politics, right? Yeah. I feel yeah. you know, a lot of people, when you think of Nigeria, and there's politics in terms of, the, you know, the politicians themselves, and then there's politics in terms of the environments the politicians create, no lies, no rules. Yeah, yeah. You know, no <laughs> so, so yeah. Uh, let me start by asking this, I guess, more straightforward one. From a scale of zero to 10, zero being, you know, politicians will totally kill your business, and 10 being, hey, the politicians are so supportive that, you know your business will thrive. Where would you put the current Nigerian? Uh, is, it, is there a minus? <laughs> <laughs> Look, man, <laughs> let me tell you something. Where, where would if you politicians are paying attention to your business, it's one of two things, right? One, it doesn't make enough money, or two, uh, they don't understand it. They've not seen it. For the moment that they have a sense of where the thing is going they immediately interfere and you have to understand like nigeria in particular is like a rentier state rentier you know what i mean like it's a everybody just charges toll you know everybody looks at everything as like an opportunity to make money from fees can you hear me yes i can hear you i'm reading some uh-huh. questions from the from so i know how yeah no no it's fine so 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 i mean that's what happens here in nigeria um now is it impossible to succeed? The reality is no. Because the truth of the matter is, if you start small like I did, like, dude, when I first came to Nigeria, yeah, I was then posing and I went to meet government and later discovered that was not the way to go. In my second take, by force, I was entering buses. Which government official wanted to even talk to me? Nobody. They didn't bother themselves with this broke boy that is entering buses to go and build something. So, I mean, they didn't care. Do you get my point? They didn't give a shit. So, and that's where you want to be when you're building stuff in Nigeria. You don't want to be the guy who's noisy, always in face of government and all that. All my businesses, I build them small, grow them to the point where, like, government actually wants to have a conversation. Because at this point, you are big enough that they can't stop you, per se, without having a conversation. They'll try. But, you see, the thing about Nigeria is that everybody wants to be associated with success. So by the time you find one big man, I mean, in, in, in Andela's case, you know, we were, we were very, by the time we had grown, we became very supported by some elements 
that were politically, you know, um, had political connections. So like, you know, I had, in Andela, we had um, Mr. Hakim Belo Asage on our board. So he gave us all the protection we needed, right? In Flutterwave, I had the former deputy governor of the central bank, Dr. Tunde Lemo, on my board. And they taught you, okay, this is how you deal with government. Don't talk too much. You want to do this, you resign. If you want to do this, you do like that, you know? So they helped with everything. So, so don't worry like, too using, much using about Flutter government. Wave as an example, sorry to cut you, but using Flutterwave yeah. as an example, because that, that is, you, yeah. I guess, current. Um, yeah. Give us, because for, for some people, for most people, I think, you know, government is this black box. And we hear, we know they hinder and everything, but can you give us just one, you know, like one story, one example of how, you know, these guys just came and earned that their minus one score? No, I mean, many ways. So even in Andela, right? At first, Andela was called the Andela Institute. Some people might remember. Um, then we got a, a call one day from I think it was like a combined team of LIRS and something where they were like, oh, um, you're supposed to get a certification from MBT before you can start. I mean, and we're like, we're training young people. The child said, no, we must drop that institute from our name. They sent us a letter. Ah, well, we just became wise. So we did two things. First of all, we dropped the institute from our name and then we were basically like, like we stopped, we basically started paying our fellows. Even though we're supposed to get some of that money back because of ITF, we didn't collect the money back. We just paid our taxes and everything. So, and they left us alone. Do you get what I'm saying? In Flutterwave, I mean, we had so many challenges, but we couldn't even start without getting the license. Um, so what we ended up having to do was we used a bank and we're sharing half our revenue with the bank until we're able to get a license. So you... You have to be very smart and think about ways around the rules when you're starting. Is there is there, is there any way, is there any, um, you know, because now you, you've known these things by kind of experience, yeah. like being, yeah. you know, being the one. <laughs> what, what advice do you have for maybe somebody who is like coming and, you know, doesn't necessarily know all these things and but still really yeah, nine, to... nine out of ten times, eh, they make all the wrong mistakes because of the mindset. So when people are coming, to Nigeria, their first thought is people in Nigeria are stupid. They are coming to bring something. Um, that's like I, I always tell people like if you just start, I started that way, and I was showed pepper. I, I you know, <laughs> it was people on the ground that now showed me okay, this is how you do things. You get what I'm saying? So that's number one. Number two, going to meet governments. Don't don't even let government see you. Just operate under the radar if you want peace. Because when government see somebody that's coming from abroad, they just see a bag of cash. It's like you just, you just remove your head and put dollar sign. <laughs> so you just need to like avoid government and just work on what you came to work on. Don't talk to government. Don't do anything. The other thing is also that you have to watch your born. So a lot of people come to Nigeria. As right now, that dollar that naira is cheap. You want to you want to now play. You you know you want to flex. You must be seen at all the best restaurants. You want to, you want to be flexing. I'll tell you, man. You will finish your money sharp, sharp. <laughs> you know, like your money will finish. Okay. In fact, on second thoughts, if I was doing this again, what I would have done was go and work for a company locally while I'm building my startup on the side. Mm. Do you get what I'm saying? So at least I have some base income. I won't have to suffer too much. Because, man, I won't like the suffering that we did. I would not recommend it for anybody. 
It's not. <laughs> like, so I'm not proof of my worst enemy. I have two more prep questions, and then I, yeah. everybody's asking a lot of questions. So I want to get to, to people's questions. So the first is I, yeah. I have we have to talk about it. Um, corona. The first is corona. Yeah, second yeah. is big tech. So the first is you know now COVID has come. Like you said, the the world yeah. is going to trend nationalistic. All the borders are closed, and now even even in Nigeria, for the first time, I'm hearing things like oh. Um, Federal government is encouraging tailors to build masks and PPE, and yeah, goods yeah. ventilate. You know, before Nigeria we import last last yeah, year, imports, yeah. whatever yeah. it is, we import. You know, and yeah. then I even heard in Lagos the um, judges are going digital for the the yes, yes. And everything. So COVID is amazing, though. I mean, I mean, it's, it's been amazing for you know. For obviously, us, I mean, yeah, yeah. But, you know, so just um, so on that, what are your thoughts? That what, what is what is the Nigerian tech space, or I guess an economy in general, yeah. look like for you after after so, COVID? So, like in another ten minutes, I'm going on another Instagram live where I'm going to talk about it. So you can stay on my Instagram live and you see it, right? So, um, but but I'm, I'm just going to quickly address it um in a little bit because we don't have a lot of time. So, first of all, right, like. Nigerian tech is like tech is accelerating life with COVID, right? So look at us having this conversation on, on Instagram. You know, all sorts of companies are having to make adjustments. A lot of companies are going to go remote from next week and they're never coming back. Like I know many companies right now that have perfected their plans to go fully remote. I.e., bye bye, you will never see you again. Don't come back to the office. Take mm. your things in Nigeria. Come to the office one last time. Take wow. your things and go. and go. Like I know companies that are doing that now, um, especially in our portfolio. So, like a lot of things are going to change, and technology will become more important. But you know, the thing is that what is really going to matter um, is is that people build real solutions to problems. Because now the twin factors of not just COVID, but the fact that Nigeria is essentially without revenue. The price of oil today is eleven is eleven dollars a barrel, which is lower than our cost of production. So we are in real soup. So government is going to be looking for ways to cut costs, and a lot of things that government does not have the mind, they don't have the bandwidth to be bothered about us. There's no way that's going to come and look for you in the office to get revenue from Andela, from the next Andela, or from the next plot that way they'll come to you know no one's going to be able to have time to do that so the reality is that a lot of things are going to change you have to be looking to the future you have to be investing in your future by learning what you need to learn doing things you need to do building things you need to build to be able to survive in this new covid post covid future and it also represents for us the way we're looking at it is it's going to be an amazing period for investment in technology because their ability to scale is like next to none. There's no competition, basically, all of a sudden. Everybody's online. Everybody's consuming content online. There's no in, in, uh, inhibition, nothing. So it's, it's going to be an amazing time. I'm, I'm actually looking forward to it. So, so that is my last question, and then hopefully we can place yeah. some questions on the on the on the chat. Yeah, let's try. Yeah, yeah let's quickly. Yeah. I know you have to go in ten minutes. So, the yeah, last I have question, to go in ten minutes. And I have to preface that again that I am not here representing Microsoft, um, but okay. I have a question about big tech coming into Nigeria in particular. Now, um, unlike Facebook, uh, Google, where they kind of have final made products that they try and sell, 
Uh, Microsoft is in a particular state where, you know, Microsoft is a business. Our, our slogan is empower every business to do more, things like that, where we want to help people already on ground further their innovation and, and um, bring yeah. their products to life. So, but, you know, not really specifying to Microsoft, but big tech in general. You said big tech has to come and understand the ecosystem. Uh, how can big tech come into Nigeria, help the local innovators, also help themselves, because naturally, yeah. and, you know, kind of just spur this tech movement going on in Nigeria? Yeah, I mean, I think they need to come in with a mindset of investing in the ecosystem um, and investing in infrastructure that powers the ecosystem. So more sharing. The companies that have come in and done that, like Facebook has come in and done a lot of that. They've benefited, right? So you have to come in with the mindset, okay, I'm not the smartest person in the room. I need to come in and learn, and I need to provide the infrastructure for that learning to happen, both for me and for others. So that's the, that's the most important thing. I think that, honestly, I wish Big Tech was more amenable to like talent acquisitions on the ground instead of just coming in and hiring away people because you see it takes a village so it's not just about the great engineer it's also about unlocking certain layers of resistance that you may encounter as you build and also relationships and big tech has loses opportunities to build that when when they come to the market the average is to take people's engineers then it starts becoming a war it does no longer a collaborative relationship um, and it, there's no benefits. Meanwhile, you could have taken a local team, paid some money to their investors, kept them engaged in the ecosystem. They would, invent, they would invest in more. That would also be part of the pipeline. They would be invested in your success as a company. So I, I'm still yet to see a big tech company take the full approach of buying something locally or investing in something locally. That makes sense. And I think the last thing is really that, you know, Sometimes people come here with a lot of airs. I see a lot of big tech people coming with a lot of airs. I always laugh because Nigeria has a way of humbling you, man. Because I remember who I was when I first came back. I was like, I was on top of the world, bro. I thought I knew everything. And I was dealt in top hand. And many tech companies are dealt tough hands because of their approach. So I, I always say, you know, take your time and learn before you comment and say things and, you know, stuff like that take your time understand what's really going on have networks have connections locally that can back channel things to you um and and, and you'll be successful and, and many people have come in and been successful that way we took some questions from the live audience one of these questions was focused around women empowerment Take a listen to what he had to say. So I think about, like, for example, you know, um, women, giving women laptops is probably one of the most, the biggest empowerment things you can do. Because she's just at home. She can work from home. She can do her work. You know what I mean? Things like that. Easy. Um, there, there are other small, small things that one can do. Um, when we when we started open sourcing our programs and giving people time to learn before coming into the fellowship, it helped us a lot with women because women now had time to do the stuff instead of just rush. So I, I really believe in empowering people with tools, then empowering community leaders in those communities to leverage those tools to lift up and empower their own communities, as opposed to a man 
trying to do women's coaching. It's not going to work. <laughs> do you understand what I'm saying? Um, and, and that's how I see technology. It's a tool, and we should leverage that to basically include people by making sure the tools are accessible generally. So then the next question is about um, immigration. A lot of um, Africans, Nigerians in diaspora, whenever when you went to that country that you that you landed in, you were probably got there on a temporary basis, you know, student yeah. style, whatever type of thing. Yeah, yeah. And for a lot of are... for a lot of people, that is an automatic barrier because you're not thinking about going back to Nigeria. You know, you're just not thinking about all that at all because you're trying to sort out whatever immigration issues yeah, you have yeah. in whatever country. Some people have not even gone back to Nigeria for years. Not because yeah. they don't want to go, but because some, you know, yeah. some paper or the other. So I guess, you know, what, what do you have for someone who has an idea or who really wants, who really feels they can do it, but, you know, that immigration is just holding them down, you know, making them feel... Look, man, in my, my opinion, at some point, you have to make a decision. I was in your shoes, right? I, I, I you know, if 10 years ago, you had told me I would still just only have a Nigerian passport, you know, um, I, would, I would have told you a joker. Like, there's no way I'm not a Canadian citizen. <laughs> But I quickly realized one thing, which is that the chances of you making it in a society where you're not the 1% is very low. Um, the people who make it in many societies, like I was telling you about my friend in Buffer Box, just very quickly, right? Because I have to go very soon. Yeah. You know, one thing that I didn't say was that his father was a partner in the city. You know, he had, he had grown up with computers. He had so many things. So... There's a level of privilege that, that is required for you to make it. In Nigeria, you have that privilege. So why not come back and be of use, leverage that privilege in a useful way to lift people up and also to lift yourself up instead of moaning over somebody else's visa and then pretending like you're a beggar. Even me, you know, last year, I wanted to immigrate to the US. I got tired of Nigeria, to be quite honest. I wanted to immigrate to the US. And I just realized after a while, I was like, man, who is this man um, um, Trump said that I was begging him for you know I'm a very proud Yoruba man so I was just like man I would rather die let my whole family come to Nigeria because I can't I can't be begging somebody else for visa what visa uh, you know this visa that you can work from anywhere in the world you know what I mean so I that's how that's how I see it right that's how I see it I have to go I'm so yeah. sorry. So man. thank you, thank you so so much to for taking the time. I really have, make so sure, guys, I really appreciate next that. Live, he's still going to talk about um, a lot of. COVID yes, issues. we'll make sure we do we'll do other stuff. Yes, we'll thank you. Stuff. But thank I mean, so one, one word I want to leave you guys with, right, is very much you know. Look, at the end of the day, the future of this country really lies with diaspora who have the skills, who have the wealth, and who have the foresight to be able to direct the path of this country. And we're all depending on you. I'm not saying this to motivate you. I'm just saying this to say, we're going to need you guys even more. We'll be pulling on you guys a lot. So please be there for us and organize yourselves. I'm still begging you guys, organize yourself. Make it easy for us to be able to work with you guys in groups and numbers. Thank you very much, guys. Have a blessed one. Stay safe. Stay yeah, you too. Yep. Okay, thanks. Yeah, bye-bye. You've made it to the end. I really hope you found that insightful. If you did, please go ahead and subscribe on whatever platform you are listening to this podcast on. 
Looking forward to bringing you more insightful content very soon.